0: And the people of God rejoiced and agreed and said, Amen. Our gospel lesson today is from John's Gospel, chapter 20. We'll focus on verses 1 through 18 today. I'll do a little bit of setup work today, and then I'll prompt you as we get into the text. I, start, I wanted to start out by asking us a question. And the question is simply this, what keeps you awake at night? What keeps you up at night? As I was researching for today, some of the common things are indigestion. We'll give you that one. When your baby cries, if you have a little one. Noisy neighbors. Barking dogs. Waiting for your teenager to pull into the driveway at night and hearing the door of the car shut and the keys jingle at the door. Health concerns—that's a big one. Snoring partner. I didn't mean to look at you, Philip. Uh, Lisa. Lisa has not shared anything with me. <laughs> I'm just trying to look back at the choir. I hope that doesn't keep you up tonight, (laughs) Philip. Worry and stress, financials, bad dreams or nightmares, those things. And I see a lot of our college students here today. I imagine there are exams that are pressing that keep you up at night or noisy uh, dorms in the adjacent rooms and things. I'd like to suggest something else that keeps us awake at night. And it was one of the uh, ones, no matter what I looked at, that popped up in the top two or three, and that is grief. Grief is among the top causes of sleepless nights. Grief is defined as the emotional burden that we experience when we lose someone or something dear to us. The days are long and the nights get longer. The word itself comes from the Latin gravis, where we get the word gravy, meaning it's heavy, it settles at the bottom, gravity, grave, grief implies a close attachment, a sudden separation, and the resulting loss. One of my favorite people is Dr. Jim Flaming, retired pastor of Richmond's First Baptist Church. And in his retirement, he's done a good bit of work on grief and wrote a great book that I often share with church members when they go through a death in their family. And in a talk I heard him give a few years ago, he shared that there are four different levels of grief or categories of grief. Spectator grief, and he says that's when we're a degree removed from a loss. Maybe it's a friend or a coworker has experienced a loss, so we're a degree separated. He also speaks of situational grief, which is a season that we're going through. It can be a, a loss of job, an economic loss, a loss of property, or something that you may Think about anticipated grief is the third one, and it's when we see it coming, when we experience a diagnosis, or often I've had um, people in the church share with me, especially in Alzheimer's, pastor, my wife died long before she physically died, anticipated grief. And then the fourth one, Dr. Fleming speaks of, is relational grief. The most significant one, he says, the loss of someone near and dear to our hearts. And some of you understand exactly what that is like. Today, 10 years ago, the Virginia Tech community experienced this kind of loss. And we remember that family today. And as you can see in our sanctuary, Our cross is decorated with the colors that on this 10th anniversary that we would remember the Tech family. Relational grief. Perhaps it's this fourth kind of grief that kept Mary Magdalene up all night. When we look at John chapter 20, we find Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' closest followers, grieving over the loss of her Lord and teacher. She can't sleep. Tossed and turned. Likely she hears the rooster crow at the fourth watch of the night, which began at 3 and ended at 6 a.m. Finally, it's the first day of the week, which is our Sunday. They went while it was dark, the first daylight after the Sabbath. At last, Mary Magdalene and the other women can go to the grave to give Jesus the proper burial that he so deserved likely they were unaware that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had already gone to help make sure that happened but they knew they they went because they knew they had to while the other three gospels report that a number of women went with Mary John's gospel focuses on her story you might remember that Jesus healed her from seven demons Luke's gospel tells us that and Luke also says that she was a woman of considerable financial means and that she supported Jesus' ministry out of her own personal pocketbook. Mary arrived at the tomb that morning and saw that the large stone had been rolled away from the entrance, and immediately she ran back to town to tell Peter and the disciple whom Jesus had loved, whose name was John. They were two of his most trusted disciples, along with James, his inner circle, if you will. She told them that someone had taken Jesus out of the tomb. Grave robbers were common in those days. Maybe that could have happened. Not only was her Lord crucified, but now she didn't have the opportunity to go and make sure everything was just right. Who could do such a thing? Well, immediately upon hearing the news, Peter and John tore out of the tomb, both sprinted to the tomb. I imagine that they blistered the leather on their Jerusalem cruisers as they were going. Well, John arrived at the tomb first. He looked in, but he did not go in. He saw the strips of linen lying there. Then Peter looked in and went in. He too saw the strips of linen as well as the headcloth, like a turban, lying there perfectly. It was as if Jesus' body had supernaturally passed through the cloths. They were undisturbed. No grave robber would have been able to do that or cared to do that. Verse 8 tells us that John finally went into, and he saw and believed, but neither of them understood, realizing that Jesus' body was gone while Peter and John went back to their homes. Meanwhile, Mary Magdalene remained there at the tomb. She stood outside of it crying. The Greek word implies that she was weeping and wailing, the Amplified Version translates it sobbing. The King James Version translates it weeping. Mary was heartbroken. How could someone have done this to their Lord? Her eyes would have been filled with tears. In his little book, Seeing Through Our Tears, Dan Bagby, my pastoral care professor in seminary, writes that tears are one of the most expressive ways in which we communicate. We cry for different reasons, From the moment we were born, our limited vocabulary, he says, required tears to express hunger, discomfort, and fatigue. From infancy through adulthood, tears are companions during some of the most difficult moments of our lives. They often reveal what we cannot put into words. No words could have described what Mary felt that morning. Perhaps the psalms can help us get a glimpse. The psalms of lament appear more frequently in the Psalter than any other type of psalm. Psalm 31, verse 9 and following. Be merciful to me, O Lord, because I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. My soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed with anguish and my tears by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. The other disciples are all gone, and Mary feels completely alone. It was in these moments of utter despair and grief that Mary just stopped. Have you ever done that? Have you ever ever just been in a place in your life where you just stopped? Maybe you didn't know what else to do, but you just stopped. So she stopped to linger at the grave of her Lord. We don't know how long she stood there, but while she was still weeping, she decided to do something. She decided to look into the tomb. Up until this this point, she had not looked in. She just knew Jesus wasn't there. She peered into the cool, dimly lit tomb to get a glimpse of what Peter and John had talked about. And now we pick up at verse 11 in John's Gospel, chapter 20. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And after this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. This is John, as he's narrating what happened, she saw Jesus, but she didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And then Jesus spoke to her, and these words in some of your Bibles might be red-letter words, the words of Jesus, verse 15. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him. I will get him. Since the tomb was in a lovely garden, it's quite possible that this man was the gardener. So Mary seeks desperately to find out where he may have taken Jesus' body. And it is here between verse 15 and verse 16 that I sense a pregnant pause. It's almost as if time had stopped. And it is these moments that Mary listens and she hears the voice of the Lord calling her by name. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbuni, which means teacher. It's a derivative of rabbi. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have come, not yet ascended to the father Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that that he had said those things to her. It was not until the risen Lord called Mary by name that she recognized his voice when he said, Mary she knew it immediately. There was no doubt that it was Jesus, that he was alive. And then Jesus said, go and tell the others. He gave her a command to go and tell the good news. She went and reported what she had seen. She was the very first person to have borne witness to the resurrected Lord. John saw the perfectly arranged linen burial clothes, and he believed but didn't understand. Peter saw and went back home. Later, Thomas would need to See the nail scarred hands before he'd believe. The other disciples believed when they broke bread with Jesus, the risen Jesus, later at the table. And still others did not believe until Jesus provided them with a miraculous catch of fish. But Mary, she was the first. She had stopped at the grave. And when she stopped, she looked and lingered long enough to hear his voice. For me, there's some takeaways there. So I don't know that I stop and linger long enough to hear Jesus sometimes. Sometimes I'm just going about my schedule. We're all connected to often uh, our work through technology, our phones. We're tethered to our phones. Even our young people can't seem to get away from the technology and the texts and the instant messaging and all these things and we, we often miss the things that are important to us. But Mary provides an example that we need to stop, and that we need to look and pay attention around us, and that we might hear the Savior's voice. Stop, look, and listen. I don't know how you learn... We all learn differently. Some visually, some we need to see it in writing. Some need to hear it. But there's one thing that I do know. God knows your name. God loves you. That God longs to have a relationship with you like Mary had with Jesus. And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, and He rose from the grave to reconcile the world unto Himself. God sent His Son to be our good shepherd, to bring you and me lost sheep home. There are more references to sheep in the Bible than any other animal. And I believe that's quite fitting because Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice, I know theirs. There's a couple passages in John chapter 10 that remind us of him as our good shepherd. Jesus said in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And then down in verse 27 and following. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Mary knew the voice of the shepherd just as the sheep knows the voice of its shepherd. God wants you and me to know the voice of the shepherd, just like Mary. And the good news is that he'll never give up on us. No matter how far we stray or how much we feel we have done wrong in our lives, he will never leave us. He will never stop searching for us. The prophet Ezekiel reminds us of this. Ezekiel chapter 34 also has some shepherd imagery. Verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. And so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of the clouds and darkness. I will bring them out of the nations And gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel. In the ravines and in the settlements and in the land. I will tend them in good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. There they will feed in a rich pasture on the top of the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep. And have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. In verse 16, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Wonderful words of encouragement and hope for us today. The empty tomb reminds us that he loves us and that he is here with us. So much that he rose from the grave and he lives today. Mary experienced it firsthand, and I pray that each one of us experiences the voice of the risen Lord today and in the days ahead. A few weeks ago, one of you shared a story with me after church, and I so appreciated it, and I thought that it might be helpful to share with us today on Easter. It's about a little boy in third grade named Philip. He was a Methodist, attended Sunday school, he had been born with Downs. A lot of the kids didn't accept him, even in Sunday school. Well, the teacher, when on the Sunday after Easter, had an idea. He would bring those big plastic eggs that women's hose comes in. When I was a kid, my mom would let me and my brother play with them. They were called legs, right? Well, the teacher collected enough of those legs, those plastic eggs, to give to each student, and he said, here's your assignment. I want you to go out in the churchyard and find an example of something that reminds you of new life. Put it in your egg, bring it back in, and we'll all talk about them. So you can imagine all of the kids scurrying outside into the churchyard, picking up their thing, putting it in the egg, bringing it back, and when everybody was back in the room, the teacher assembled them on the table, and all the children were around. And one by one, the teacher opened up the big plastic eggs. And the first one had a flower, reminds us of new life. The second one had a little butterfly in it, reminding of new life. And so the teacher went through the eggs, and then he came on one that he opened, and it was empty. There was nothing in it. Other children said, that's not fair. There's nothing in it. That person didn't play by the rules. You can imagine. Well, the teacher felt a tugging at his shirt, and he looked down, and there was Philip. And Philip said, that one's mine. That one's mine. It's mine. And the other kids, we knew that you wouldn't follow the rules. We knew that you would be wrong. And they called him names. And then Philip said, no, no. He said, it's mine. It's mine. I did do it. I did do it. The tomb is empty. And a silence fell over the classroom. And from that point forward, none of those children made fun of Philip anymore. They had gotten hold of the message of new life through the symbol of the empty tomb that Mary had experienced on that first day of the week. The hope of Easter, the hope of Easter compels us toward a hopeful tomorrow today. You don't have to wait. It's here today. It provides the possibility of a future for those who have lost hope and feel that there is no tomorrow And I want you to know that no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult your circumstances are, people love you and God loves you and never give up, never give up. Mary didn't give up, never give up. Mary's lament turns to praise. Her tears are changed into a triumphal shout. God wants you and me to experience the risen Lord just like Mary and the other followers did on that resurrection Sunday. The good shepherd knows your name. He just wants you and me to know him. He wants you to claim these words as his own. He wants you to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. May those words be yours as you seek to hear the words of the risen Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, thank you for this glorious Sunday. Thank you that 2,000 years later, the story never grows old, that we can have the same power given to us through the Holy Spirit in a relationship with you that Jesus had as he rose from the grave. and and defeated death, that you would give us the strength to deal with whatever it is that we're facing today, no matter how hopeless it might appear, that we can claim and cling to the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for each man, woman, and child in this place today, that we would leave changed and that we would be bearers of the hope that we have within us. And if there's one who is struggling or one who is dealing with things that are just seemingly insurmountable, I pray that they would tell somebody today, reach out to somebody who can help them today. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.